This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. There's no place like home for the holidays or homedepot.com for holiday decor with Black Friday prices inside and out. Like artificial Christmas trees starting at just $39.98 or outside lights and playful inflatables to bring joy to the neighborhood. Order holiday decor online and you'll even get free delivery. Holiday decorating improved with an assortment of holiday decor plus free online delivery from homedepot.com. How doers get more done while supplies last. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk sense. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk. And today I'm joined by the wonderful, irreverent, and clever Louis Zatzman. Louis, how are you doing, man? I'm great. That was, that was a great introduction. I appreciate it. So happy to be here, buddy. Yeah, tell the people what, what you do. Yeah, so I've been writing a ton for, uh, for Raptors Republic. Actually, some cool news I haven't shared. I'll be... Uh, credentialed for all the home games this playoff so i'll be <gasps> yeah i'll be at the scotia bank center a ton more coming up in the playoffs i'm really excited to be uh to be putting my heart and soul into rr this this year i'm actually shocked you did not tell me that beforehand you saved it for live wow yeah yeah yeah. of course gotta get the a live reaction <laughs> <laughs> that's great man i'm so happy for you thank you man that's exciting yeah yeah Oh, so I guess that's that's as good a credential as anybody needs. A double entendre of sorts. Um, the credentialed Louis Zassman has come on today <laughs> to speak about, basically we're going to be talking about Kawhi attacking the rim. Any differences compared to how he was in San Antonio in his aerial assaults, let's say. He wrote a really great piece on Serge Ibaka and Fred Van Vliet where he watched all of the assists from Fred to Serge this year. Yes, all of them. <laughs> um, the secret to Gasol, Lowry, Van Vliet, why that lineup murders everybody that it plays against. And two minutes on DeLon Wright, what his career shapes up to be. And whatever else we want to talk about that just comes along. And then we'll be getting into Twitter questions that everybody asked. Yeah, so let's start with your piece on Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet. I read it. I shared it. It's a great piece. An important part of the writing, I guess, community is the stuff you put out because you do these deep dives, kind of like a Blake Murphy-esque type of thing where you just pump out this opinion on this thing that people are like, I think this might be a thing, maybe it's a thing, but then you go say, I'm going to watch it all and I'll tell you exactly how it turns out. You boil it down, you gave out the graph. What is your biggest takeaway from that pairing? Yeah, so the biggest thing uh, for me was the chart at the very beginning. So basically... There were, I mean, when I wrote the piece, there were 65 assists between the two of them, uh, for, or from Fred to Serge, and basically breaking down how one, uh, how each pass sort of fit into each category. So basically, 
I separated them out into uh, an assist from a pick and roll for a jumper or a pick and roll for a layup or not in a pick and roll for a jumper, not in a pick and roll for a layup. And unsurprisingly, you would find that the vast majority of assists from Fred to Serge have been in the pick and roll for a jumper, which sort of, in one hand, is really a, a solid option uh, for the start of the year, especially when JV was out. That was one of the Raptors' foundational pieces, Lowry to Serge for the mid-range jumper. And, uh, and Fred hasn't had a ton of success handling in the pick and roll this year, but in past weeks, really, since coming back from the injury, uh, he's had a ton of success dishing that bounce pass right to Serge where he can step into that 12-footer. Um, not a ton to the game beyond that. You know, there's a little bit here and there, but basically a lot of room for improvement, but a solid foundation between the two of them. And so you were saying that he's creating jumpers, and you also mentioned the piece that they have trouble finding Serge on the dive, whereas Lowry, obviously Lowry, Ibaka, pick and roll, does cater to Serge's proclivity towards the mid-range jumper, but there's also the ability to score on the dive as well, which Serge is not bad scoring on the dive either. He just doesn't do it as often. So is there any shortcomings you see from Van Vliet stylistically in helping Ibaka score on the dive? Yeah, for sure. Um, Fred is a solid passer, but he's not a visionary like Lowry. Lowry really, he has that thing that Ricky Rubio does or, uh, or Chris Paul, you know, these elite passers where they'll release the ball a fraction of a second later than natural or earlier than natural because they read the second line of defense, not only the first. And that, that extra beat, that extra rhythm, will really give the roller a huge advantage uh, with the ball. Fred doesn't have that. And, and, of course, he doesn't have the size to be able to see over help defense. So uh, if he jumps, he's sort of caught in air. He's, he's not good there, whereas Lowry can occasionally create from the air, even though he's still the same size. Uh, what he Most of those, I think I counted uh, 30 or so assists from the pick and roll for a layup, or 11, sorry, 11, which is about 15%. And almost all of them were just a really simple bounce pass out in front of Serge that he gathered, and just there was no rotation. It wasn't like Fred created it. It was more Serge's, uh, Serge's creation. Uh, so definitely something that could be improved upon, uh, even though it's a little bit there. So if you were like the opposing coach and you wanted to stymie the Fred Ibaka pick-and-roll, let's say you really wanted to make a run against the Raptors, you've got your team against their bench, and you want to shut them down on offense, they keep resorting to a Fred surge pick and roll. How do you stop Fred? How do you put Fred in a position where he's super uncomfortable and he won't be able to create any offense? Well, if they're with the bench lineup, if Norm's out there, if OG is out there especially, don't just defend it with two people, right? You should be sinking off of the, the wing. You should be stunting into the lane. And, uh, and Fred doesn't have the handling ability to sort of break down multiple defenders at once. Uh, if that's not an option, if Danny Green's out there, if Lowry's spawning up off the ball, you want to go over Fred. You want to be a, uh, he is a really good shooter still from pull up. Uh, you want to be challenging that rear view contest and then keep your big uh, on the hip of the, of Ibaka on the roller and then force Fred to go up in the, in the mid-range or at the rim and trust a late contest from your big, because Fred is a, a solid finisher, but he's still among the, uh, the weaker point guard finishers in the league. So the ideal outcome for an opponent is for Fred to be taking a contested shot from the five to seven foot range. And then, so if you were Fred Van Vliet, sorry to really be pedantic about this, but if you're Fred Van Vliet, how do you counter that type of defense? Like, we're fans of the Raptors, obviously. We love Fred Mamblee. He is uh, an elite-level NBA defender, damn it, to quote somebody <laughs> out there. And so if you're Fred Mamblee, or if you're watching Fred Mamblee, what do you want to see him do? Let's say he is out there with OG. What is his counter to that type of defense? I like that. That's coming up in every pod from now on we do, eh? Yeah, <laughs> it has to. Uh, yeah, so I, I think Fred, some of his underrated skills... Are he's an excellent repositioner. And so it may be counterintuitive to the pick and roll, but something he's terrific at 
is getting rid of the ball quickly. And like Steph Curry, finding the weak spot in the defense and, and spotting up from there. And so even though, you know, you think point guard, you want him to have the ball in his hands to create, what Fred is sometimes best at is dishing over to the wing, rescreening or diving down and popping back out into the corner above the arc and just keeping the action alive. Because when he gets into the high dribble range, four, five, six dribbles, that's when the offense really uh, runs out of options. So either get it to surge quickly for that open jumper for the for the roll, or move it along the wing and keep moving and keep the threat upon the defense for uh, multiple actions at a time. So with you discussing, obviously, Fred, he's really proficient attacking off ball. You cited Steph Curry as somebody who's really bouncy, rescreening, yeah. running around, lots of hawk screens, elevator plays, things like that. Fred and Lowry are both players who do similar types of things on offense. So that feels like a good segue into, is that part of, a large part of, a small part of why Lowry, Gasol, Van Vliet lineups are so dominant? Is it because Gasol is a willing passer? They'll repost if they want him to have a different position. They can run Van Vliet and Lowry around him for forever and just try and create good looks. Like, what is your take on that lineup? Oh, I completely agree. They're, they just all play with the same verve, sort of offbeat panache, where the passes come earlier than you'd expect, and the guy's already scampering around behind you. And, and I mean, we mentioned Fred's a great shooter. He's a great off-ball cutter. Those are skills that are best leveraged when the guy doesn't have the ball in his hands. And so when you give Lowry the ball, who, by the way, this past week, he's he's become... I mean, he's been it all year, but Lowry has been one of the best passers in the league and so clearly the best passer on the Raptors that when he has the ball in his hands, that's what unlocks Fred. That's what unlocks Marcus Saul. That's what's best for Serge Ibaka, even for Danny Green shooting, Pascal's finishing. Lowry with the ball in his hands, we've seen this week and all season is what's best. And, uh, and with Marcus Saul and Fred alongside him, defenses really need to... Uh, play hyper-focused, and they can't let their guard down when they stop one, two, three continuous attacks. There's always more threats coming with the three of them on the floor together. Why? What do you see? What, what's going on with the three of them? That, that is largely my takeaway. But it's also, it's important, like in a game like we're recording after the Miami Heat game that just happened, like Marcus All isn't scoring a ton in that game. He hit like two shots. He obviously, he had, I think it was seven assists, which is fantastic. That's bread and butter for him. But Kyle and Fred combined for, I think, 2 of 16 shooting, maybe 1 of 11 from behind the line. So it's obvious that like their shooting is a threat, and it's crucial to their game, yes. But how bouncy they are on offense and like tireless they are in creating mismatches, because a mismatch created isn't the same as a mismatch taken advantage of, but a mismatch created opens up different parts of the defense and that's something it's it's confusing to somebody who maybe you're just a casual fan which casual fans are okay but <laughs> if you look at Kyle Lowry well of course yeah but if you look at Kyle Lowry how he he goes one of like nine in this game one of eight something like that one of eight Fred goes one of eight yet they still have a positive plus minus where Serge Ibaka gets his like 15 and 10 something like that, but he's a minus 17, OG's a minus 22. All these guys, especially, let's say, OG, Fred, and Kyle, all shoot horribly this game. But two of those th- two of those people aren't similar, or sorry, one of those people, one of these things is not like the other. Great yeah. speaking, Sam. Keep going forward. <laughs> and um, one of these things is not like the other is that when OG misses a shot, he's just missing a shot. But for every missed shot that Lowry has, already in that possession, he's probably created three or four mismatches or three or four, um, I guess, opportunities for the offense to find a good shot. And Fred does the same thing. And it's not calculated by any stat. You can only kind of wean from it if you watch the game. You can see that like Lowry, Van Vliet, players like that, just by proxy of how tireless they are creating on offense— that they're always making good shots happen. A guy like DeMar, there's one good shot he creates a possession. It's when he gets downhill on the pick and roll. 
he sprays the ball to the opposite corner to say Bryn Forbes. They get a three-pointer, they hit it, and then everybody's like, DeMar's a great playmaker, which he is. But an attack that is taken in by Lowry or Van Vliet, who are clever and shifty, they're always creating different opportunities and mismatches for different players. That's why we've seen, since Gasol arrived, more reposts. We've seen more, I guess, anticipation-type passing, like just more off-ball cuts. It's, yeah, that's that's the whole reason I think that they're successful, is that there's more than just the end game. There's three plays that could have been made that also could have been successful because they're they're such clever offensive players that I think they create more than what they even take. Yeah, and Lowry, I mean, these past two games, he's looked spry. His jumper's been off, sure, but he's looked really good driving. Um, he's created for himself in the pick and roll, made a couple layups, which is something we haven't seen since the you know halcyon days of 2016. Um, I'm not concerned about his jumper. He's, lo- he's looked really good, even though the shot matters. They don't need that Lowry jumper to beat a first-round opponent, but they do need him being himself, creating those multiple advantages, and he's doing that. Yeah, I think that the Lowry jumper, even in the finals against the Warriors, like you would like a version of Lowry that scores like 17, 18 a game. Would, would we get that? I'm not sure. But for even to beat Milwaukee, I think his prerogative is that he makes his open shots that come to him by result of like side top side action, stuff like that. Lowry doesn't even need to score off the dribble anymore for the Raptors offense to be a runaway train. You know what I mean? Like it's it's only when the action comes back to him for the end result that he needs to make that happen. But he's such a clever passer and he's so incredible when creating offense for his teammates that he doesn't even need to be a threat off the dribble to score anymore. It's just he creates so much that he only needs to score when the ball comes back to him, which is a yeah. crazy development for a guy who who scored 20 points a game like two years ago. And which, I mean, you saw in this, uh, we're going to have some recency bias. You did mention this is after the Miami game. And I'd like to add for listeners, not only is this after the Miami game, Samson just recorded his own reaction <laughs> pod that, like on the heels. He finished that pod and then immediately called me up. So, you know... Props to you, big guy. But uh, you saw two plays from Lowry, sort of the end of regulation and the end of overtime. Uh, so at the end of regulation, Kawhi's isolating, and uh, Lowry goes over to screen for him. Kawhi waves him off and ends up taking a contested jumper over James Johnson, doesn't go in. Uh, not the best play. But at the end of overtime, the same play, Kawhi's isolating, Lowry goes over to screen, and they don't switch. So when Lowry rolls, he's wide open in the short in the uh, short roll space. Kawhi floats the ball to him, and Lowry, well, he travels, but then he immediately passes the ball <laughs> over the wing, swings it over, wide open three-pointer, and that's the game, right? That blew the game open because Lowry was that connecting piece, much like Gasol has been since he came over. And that's where the development of Siakam comes in, and even Fred a little bit, is when you have these other guys who can create a little bit more, Siakam in the post in isolation, then Lowry and Gasol can move back to those sort of connecting roles for which they're completely overqualified. Yeah, that's a great point as well. And that's, I guess, something that's really exciting to bring up. Let's talk about that next. The 3-1 pick and roll or 1-3 pick and roll. The Raptors, I talked about this on previous podcasts, but the Raptors have been a team for a long time the past five years, not including this one, where they were the best version of themselves in the regular season, and they had a very, very clear blueprint of what worked. That's why we saw so many 1-2-2-1 pick-and-rolls via DeRozan and Lowry in the regular season when they needed Lowry to to um, split the pick-and-roll and then break loose and go to like just above the break to hit a three that was back-breaking for other teams. DeRozan would find them. Those type of plays... The Raptors went to nearly every game. We have seen the Lowry-Leonard pick-and-roll like less than 15 times this year. But that's a real, a real weapon. That should, be, that should be back-breaking for teams. That should be extremely difficult to deal with. It's kind of like the Golden State Warriors. 
they don't run the Durant Curry pick and roll that often during the regular season. They bring it out in the playoffs and teams don't know how to handle it. There are sleeping offensive giants on this Raptors team that haven't yet been utilized. Is there anything else you see like that play that the Raptors can unveil in the postseason? I do. I'm glad you asked. Yeah, that that Lowry Leonard one is a real that's a go to thing at the end of the shot clock, as it should be, because Leonard's so strong that if you do switch it, he'll just abuse you in the post. Uh, the other one that I that I'm really excited for is Siakam Gasol, the four five pick and roll. Uh, not something that's been utilized a ton, and you did see early in the Miami game though. Uh, I think Miami was in the zone. I'm not sure, but Pascal flashed through the lane, and Gasol sealed immediately. Seeing the cut, Pascal caught it, uh, flipped it over to Gasol, who drew the foul, but it would have been an easy layup otherwise. I think that exact style of play where Pascal gets the ball on a cut or gets it into the uh, free throw line or so on the drive, if you have a deep pick and roll from there where defenses don't have space to really react, uh, Aaron Gordon did a similar thing with Vucevic early on against Toronto in the Orlando game. Those sorts of plays, big-to-big passing with little space for defenses to react, really unguardable and Toronto hasn't used it but they have lots of ability with two creators and scorers in Siakam and Gasol as well yeah part of what makes that so intriguing to me is when Siakam last year when he was part of the bench mob his role as score and transition was great but it didn't like it didn't outshine his role as an underrated facilitator yeah. Like he showed his passing chops on the short roll. He showed his passing chops in transition. Every once in a while, he'd have the reins on offense. And he, like he'll make very good passes, elite passes even sometimes. So it's not just that Gasol is one of the best passing big men of all time. And we could see high low feeds from him to Siakam. We could see flash cuts from Siakam that could devastate like a defense. That's why the Raptors were so successful against the Heat's zone today when Gasol was in, was because. You can sit Gasol in the middle of that zone and he'll find the guys. But Siakam is a player like that as well, not to the level of Gasol. But if Gasol somehow gets a mismatch on the inside and you find Siakam, Siakam will find Gasol. There's there's no problem, let's say, if there's a lineup of Leonard, Siakam, Gasol, Green, Lowry, or even instead of Green, Van Vliet, something like that. You're almost certain that everybody on that in that lineup can find the proper guy who needs the ball. And the worst passer probably in that lineup would be Kawhi Leonard. And he's not one of the best wing passers, but he's not a slouch either. So the type of varied offense the Raptors can walk out there and that they're never really trapped in any situation, they can resort to so many things, is one of the most intriguing parts of this team. To go to that lineup, here's some numbers for you. Over the past week, this is the weekly podcast, so... The four games against potential first-round playoff opponents. Here's in order of most to least assists amongst those five. So Lowry's led the lineup in 6.8 assists per game. Then you have uh, Fred, five assists per game. Marcus Gasol, 4.8. Kawhi, four. And Siakam's the least at 3.3. That's a lineup of five guys all playing in their natural position who average three or more assists a game. That's incredible. That's five willing passers who can always keep the ball humming and those assists come within the lineup yeah that's the past no no just the their average assist per game oh, okay i wasn't sure if that was how often like how many assists they create per game in that lineup because i was that gonna, would be, I would be stupefied yeah i wasn't <laughs> sure that would be crazy yeah but that's that's a great like insight that's a great stat because there's they have no problem creating for other people and Leonard, so far this year, one of the biggest steps from game one to game 81 is that his work as a passer has definitely gotten better, where he started off the year like gangbusters scoring the ball. Like teams, like the year before when he was with San Antonio, everybody forgot about how dominant, strong, and just robotic Kawhi is on offense. So like the first couple games of the year, he just devastated the teams when they tried to defend him. Because nobody posts up quite like Kawhi, maybe LeBron, 
but like he just went in and would just pound the hell out of like the defend like his wing defender. But as teams have gotten a little bit adjusted to that this year, he's transitioned and he does pass more. He is a lot better at finding people on the roll, on the cut. And I guess let's even talk about this, speaking of on the roll. How big a part does the Kawhi Leonard pick and roll have to play in the postseason? Yeah, I think it should be bigger than it has been so far. He and Gasol look fantastic next to each other. We've already mentioned Leonard and Lowry. Siakam's developed a little bit as a roller on the year, although that's still an area of improvement for him. But the point is, he's your best player. You want the ball in his hands. And uh, and the pick and roll is really you know the, the bread of the offensive sandwich that is Toronto's game plan. Horrible, horrible metaphor. But, uh, you know, you want the ball in his hands and you want him making the easy play. So I think that'll be another thing that you'll see more of in the playoffs that Toronto will turn to more often. And if Kawhi is, instead of just doing ISO, instead of just doing post-up where he's face-to-face with a primary defender, if he's running the pick-and-roll... That was something we saw with DeMar DeRozan. That was how you freed him up so that he could attack the rim. Yeah. Kawhi, while he's gotten more opportunities to get like dunks in transition this year, and he's had a couple easy ones to like drop in from time to time, the Raptors offense creates easy looks. We haven't seen the same fervor. Like he, he was a terror in aerial assaults when he was in San Antonio. Like he was a real poster alert type of player, but we haven't seen anything close to that from Kawhi this year he's still good at the rim like don't get me wrong he's good he's shooting like 68 69 percent but there's when he sees like help side defense I don't feel like he's gonna sky over top of it and jam on somebody or even that he's gonna go up and they're gonna contest in the air and he's gonna fight through it and lay it up I feel like he's gonna do a jump stop and he's gonna try and bounce them while he's on the ground then go up for a layup do you like what is your take on his his jumping this year, his explosion. There's a couple different things. So absolutely, he's not looking to dunk on people. Part of that is he's just, he's never taken this many shots per game, you know? He's been a 20 field goal attempts per game guy this year. And when you do that, it's a rare type. You know, it's really only Russell Westbrook who does that and still finds the time to dunk on people's heads, you know? Most people are content to just, get the layup and go back and play D because you just have so much energy to expend. Part of that is also the injury. You know, people forget he's coming off a year long injury. This wasn't a holdout. This wasn't like, this was a serious injury that he's been working his way back. And uh, he's also had a little bit of that uh, uh, leg injury this year as well, which sort of he plateaued health wise a few months ago. He's been working his way up since then, but You've definitely seen that sap some of his explosiveness back then. And it seems like he's been, for a third point, playing at half speed for the last few weeks. I mean, very content to take some pull-up jumpers. Just sort of going to bang on people in the post, be big, be strong. But there's another gear there. We all know it. He knows it. And uh, another point to that, Kawhi's always been a guy who's piled up those defensive numbers, steals and blocks. But you need to put energy out in that to do that. And he's averaged 0.5 steals and zero blocks per game the past this week, right? This this four game sample. <laughs> There's a lot left in the tank, and I think his finishing is part of that as well. So you think like by the time the playoffs roll around, this will kind of shake out and we'll see a more aggressive, explosive version of Kawhi Leonard? There's a balance. I don't think he's gonna be dunking on people's heads. And you saw the same with DeMar, right? When he became the, uh, the all-NBA candidate, he sort of stopped dunking other than once every four or five games. Kawhi's the same. He's not going to be jumping over help defense unless he can help it. But he will be a little bit more aggressive around the rim. He'll be looking less for fouls, I imagine, looking less to uh, fade away in the post, looking more to create those really bountiful shots from right underneath the rim where his strength can just overpower people. DeLon Wright went to the Grizzlies. He just had his first triple-double. I think it was like 26 points, 10 rebounds, 14 assists, somewhere close to that. I think most everybody who is a Raptors fan is still a DeLon Wright fan. What do you think his career ends up shaping up to be? So I did a, a deep 
uh, Delon Wright dive last year or the year before. It was an early piece for me in my writing career. So it was probably garbage. But uh, my comps that I came up with him, on offense, I thought a, uh, a uh, Sean Livingston type player, sort of like not the mid-range jumper, but just the, the style of a, a bench guy who can come in and steady the offense, make a career of sort of making smart decisions and settling down an offense against uh, lesser talents. Uh, and on defense, I thought Patrick Beverly was sort of the, the ideal you know, utopia for his development. And he hasn't really had that aggression of Beverly, which is his defining trait. Um, but he's he's very solid at dodging screens. He's long. Because first of all, people talk about height and wingspan as if uh, as if they're correct in the NBA database. Because his wingspan's like 6'10, I think. He's not six foot four. This guy's like six one. His wingspan is absolutely insane. Um and he just he hounds point guards when he's engaged. Wait, Delon Wright is six foot one. I, yeah, he he probably not. He's probably six two or six three. There's no way he's six four. I've stood next to him and oh really? He, like Danny Green is six foot four. He's not Danny Green's height. Oh, I did. I had no idea. Yeah, I think I think his wingspan is because you just look at the guy and it's ridiculous. But if you look at the actual database and subtract it, he is an average wingspan. But it's not. He's just under. He's he's his height is overlisted in the database. Um, what? And so, yeah, long. Sorry, I'm I'm getting very distracted. You rattled me. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I think I I think those are still reasonable projections, right? Defensively is where he's going to make his make his money, uh, and he's still a solid defender. He still can rise to the challenge he needs to become far more consistent and to be a great defender you need to really have that aggression where you're the person initiating contact initiating the play and that's what guys like beverly guys like draymond green are best at uh and he's not there yet but offensively you know i think he's still a bench point guard even if he is a sixth man type of guy who can play 28 29 30 minutes a game but uh you know, he'll have to develop in, in pretty discreet ways for him to become a starting caliber guard. And even though he's taken some steps in Memphis, a lot left to do. And I guess last question before we break for intermission. What is the perfect team for DeLon Wright going into next year? Honestly, a team like Toronto. <laughs> I mean, he needs to be on a team where he'll be, he'll be used uh, as a specific tool instead of being thrown out as a general guy, you know, just go play well. He's probably in his best situation where he's saying, you know, you're going to run the pick and roll and lock down the wing score, something like that. But obviously in his career, that's not where he wants to be. Quietly, Toronto was not where he wanted to be uh, when it became clear that he wasn't really getting a chance to show off his skills and all power to him. I mean, he probably made several tens of million dollars by getting traded to Memphis in his next contract. It's a great thing for him in his career. He needs to develop that way. But if you're looking to win basketball games, ideally a smaller role is what's best for him. But for his career, he needs to spread his wings. There's still a lot of development left to do. So who knows, maybe give him another year or two in this, uh, in this system that made Bruno Caboclo into an all-NBA talent, <laughs> and he might really become something a lot more. Perfect. Uh, you guys are listening to Ad Read, intermission coming up, and after that, Lewis and I will get into Twitter questions. I'm Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Injury Lawyers. Accidents happen, and when they do, you'll want a lawyer who will stand up to the insurance company and fight for your rights. In case of emergency, have this name in your back pocket, Goldfinger, Brian Goldfinger. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Welcome back, and Lewis and I, Lewis Zatzman, that is, the terrific writer of Raptors Public Staff, Ilk. We're about to go through the Twitter questions. We send a tweet out. And you guys commented under it. Let's get into it. Idiot baby at Roz Aleg. I guess that's like Roz El Ghoul. Just Roz Aleg says, what's your favorite rapper's lineup? 
and why? Lewis. So uh, my favorite Raptors lineup is, uh, involves the f- three of Lowry, Van Fleet, Gasol, and then pr- probably Danny Green and or Danny Green and Siakam or Leonard Siakam. I'm totally indifferent. I think those three lineups are so much fun on both sides of the ball. They play a little bit higher pace. Um, they just have this, they ooze this sort of joy with every movement and every motion. And it's not only are they dominant, it's the most fun viewing experience and it's the most fun uh, playing experience for them as well. Uh, it's just a blast whenever the trio of Van Fleet, Lowry, and Gasol get to orbit around each, each other. Uh, and I'm just swept up in the wave. How about yourself? My favorite one, I'm not even sure if they've received minutes together. But I'm oh, just waiting. A deep cut. It's a deep cut. I'm waiting for Siakam, Leonard, and OG to just share the floor with Gasol. And I just want this wild west of Gasol sitting in the middle, Siakam... Leonard and OG and throw whoever else and it could be Patrick McCaw for all I care I just want them all doing rim runs I want oops thrown I just it doesn't even have to be good I just I like all those players so much that is my favorite Raptors lineup it's a hypothetical but I I deeply deeply want to see that lineup come to fruition even if it's for like two minutes I would I would just love it it sounds so exciting if we're talking hypotheticals, my favorite Raptors lineup is definitely Jordan Lloyd, Malcolm Miller, Chris Boucher, you know, these 905 guys. Lorenzo Brown, let's throw him in there. And, uh, Dwayne Notice, love him. These 905 guys, I mean, I am where I am because the 905 is a great beat. If you want to be a writer, start it's development for everybody. So, uh, yeah, love the 905, love their minutes. Of of the nine oh five guys, sorry to go like break away from the format here, but of the nine oh five guys, who's your who's your pick to be the best NBA player? Probably Malcolm Miller. Chris Boucher Same. could end up being an all star. Um but Malcolm Miller probably has the highest floor. He uh I mean he's probably ready to be a, a ten minute three and D guy as is. He's very versatile on defense. He could he could use to add some more offensive skills beyond just shooting but he's a great shooter yeah i feel the same way when i watch malcolm miller i kind of feel like he fits directly into the alfonso mckinney mold like he could just go to a team and end up just doing three and d adjacent things for the next like six years something like that oh and look i was there last year when they were both with the 905 and alfonso mckinney was uh he didn't develop the way that the franchise wanted from him let's put it that way there's a reason why he's in Golden State, uh, whereas uh, Miller was such a joy, such a you know pleasing development for the 905 that he they were about to sign him, as reported by Blake Murphy, I should say. They were about to sign him, and then he uh, hurt his shoulder, and they kept him in the 905 system all year to, to rehab it, just to, to give him somewhere to heal and to train and, and develop. And then they signed him to an NBA contract after all of that. So they really have love for Malcolm Miller, and they want him to be in, in the Raptors franchise for the future. That's encouraging to hear, because I like, I like Malcolm Miller a lot. Second question from Killa Pascal at Killa Pascal. What bad <laughs> habits are you concerned about for the Raps in the playoffs? For me, it's turnovers and containing dribble penetration. Anything that concerns you, Lewis? I mean, that's a good question, and that's a good uh, guess. I mean, turnovers for sure. Uh, that's something that they can all overpass. Not all, not Leonard. But Lowry and Siakam uh, <laughs> especially can really have high turnover games. Even good games, they can have high turnover games. And that's something that sharp defenses can really, uh, can really capitalize on. One other thing that might concern me in the playoffs is uh, is rotation distribution, you know, who gets minutes where and when. But the last week has been really encouraging for that, so not a habit. Uh, I guess that's a Nick Nurse habit, but not one that I am as concerned about now as I was a month ago. Uh, how yeah. about you? I'm, I'm pretty much the same as you. The, the Nick Nurse point is probably the best point you can make 
the Raptors seem tailor-made to try and succeed in the playoffs. It's just, can Nick Nurse press the gas when it needs to be pressed? Can he pull back when he needs to pull back? And I wrote in the preview for the Miami game, I was like, if Jeremy Lin gets minutes and Kyle Lowry's playing a high minute total, you know that Nurse isn't taking this game seriously because he played Lin minutes. Yeah. And the same would the same would be if Powell played like a one or two position instead of playing off the ball exclusively, yeah. like where he can attack. And that's as complicated as it gets for him. Like you said, it's been encouraging lately, even though I had some serious qualms after the Charlotte game. I was so confused by the rotations in that game. But the Heat game was definitely encouraging to see that they just completely cut Lynn out of the lineup, move Powell to just an off-ball attacker. That's it. That's all you do. And they just had one of Gasol, Van Vliet, Lowry, or Siakam and Leonard run the offense. And they didn't, they didn't deviate away from that. It was just that. So I'm hoping the playoffs will be good. Turnovers are obviously a problem. Kyle Lowry's turnovers don't usually, they don't make me feel bad because they usually actually end up being dead ball turnovers. And when Kyle Lowry turns the ball over, sorry to praise Kyle Lowry too much, but when he turns the ball over, it's usually very high reward. If he's going to risk turning the ball over, it's going to be something that's going to, if it works, it'll be, an easy, easy bucket, something like yeah. that, like his outlet passes to Siakam. Whereas like Siakam, Norman Powell, Kawhi, every once in a while, their turnovers can be directly feeding into transition offense, something like that. Yeah. So less so from Lowry. I'd like Lowry to keep pushing it, to keep trying those things. I don't want as much over-dribbling from guys like Van Vliet, Leonard, or Siakam. We saw it in the Miami Heat game. Like Leonard over-dribbled a bit, lost the ball a couple times, and also took like a couple bad shots. So yeah, those are the, and also I guess another bad habit just to dump on Leonard because he deserves it. Apparently <laughs> um, I, I don't want any ISO like ISO is fine. I just don't want stacking ISO possessions on top of each other towards the end of games. The Raptors are good enough that they can try and orchestrate something. Even if it's one out of three possessions down the line, something I just, I, it's tough to see three ISO possessions stacked on top of each other. That's a bad habit that I don't want to see emulated in the playoffs. And something I think we've seen cut, cut down a lot over the course of the year, to nurses' credit. Right. Um, and there's creative ways to enter in isolation, you know? That one three-can-roll being a great example. Because if you're going to switch, absolutely isolate Leonard against a point guard all day, every day. Um, totally. You know, you can isolate in the post you can uh you can get that paint touch and then kick it out for sure there's all sorts of ways to to get those isolations and i think nurse has done a pretty solid job of tilting the the offense that improvised offense that uh that so much is made of he's been tilting it to a little bit more structure to the benefit of the team yeah next question shay bonnie says, do you guys feel like OG isn't confident with his legs because of his past ACL injury he's referring to? Looks like when he's going to the hoop, he always jumps awkwardly as if he is scared of the contact slash landing and awkwardly throws himself to the ground, not really caring of the finish at that split second. He could have jammed it on the guy in that Hornets game, but decided to go knee first in his mind, maybe protecting himself slash legs and awkwardly landing on the ground and hurting his elbow. I'll actually take the lead on this one. There is a very stark contrast in the way OG Ananobi attacks. If he gets to jump off of two feet, he is one of the best athletes in the whole world. And I wrote a piece this year. I wrote I wrote two pieces on OG, two features. The first one was he actually dunks the same percentage of his attempts at the rim as Giannis. He, he is extremely powerful when going up off of two legs at the rim. Very few players, whether it be Rudy Gobert, Hassan Whiteside, can contest an OG Ananobi dunk attempt off two feet. When he goes off one foot, he is a baby draft. There is no <laughs> coordination there. And if you think back to his viral dunk when he was with Indiana, where he kind of skied over a guy and it was one of the craziest dunks of the college year, his knee was jutted out. When he jumps off of one foot, he always juts his left leg out, which is a problem. We see he's been called for two offensive fouls on that very thing this year. He could end up hurting other players second. 
And yeah, I, I don't think it's even him protecting himself because he's been doing it since before his ACL tear. It's just bad, a bad habit of his. Maybe that's the third bad habit I'll harp about. But I just, I don't like seeing him stick his knee out. But when he jumps off one foot, that's the problem. When he jumps off two feet, he's fine and powerful and very elegant in air. You see, like, the when he tried to go between the legs and at the Rising Stars game, it was a two-foot jump. One, the one-foot jump, bad. Two-foot jump, good. That's how I feel. Completely. I remember that piece, and that stat floored me, the, the dunking percentage versus Giannis. But, uh, and, and even beyond uh, his, his, his legs, his knees, he's just not the most confident uh, with his body motions. He's not as fluid of, a, um, of an athlete as a guy like Pascal Siakam. He, he is stronger. You know, he probably can jump higher just if in a uh, combine type situation. But the fluidity, things like arm deceleration, which, uh, which I'd never heard before until you mentioned it, but things like that, you know, rotation in midair. He's just not as confident an athlete with those uh, uh, sort of subtle nuanced motions. And I think that probably is less the ACL and just, you know, he has work to do on his body. Totally. That was when I was at practice, I watched OG practice for quite a while and he was just him doing one-on-one type of stuff. And when he was in an isolated type of motion, just catch the ball, shoot it, catch the ball, shoot it, catch the ball, shoot it. He was great because it was was a very simple motion. When you started introducing more stimuli to what he had to do, it immediately became very difficult for him to, to perform the intended function of whatever I guess drill he was doing. That's I wrote it in my piece, but he like he could hit nine out of ten threes. He could throw down a three sixty dunk. But as soon as the trainer introduced, you know, a gather step and kind of like a sweeping through James Harden motion before doing a left handed floater, like he went like zero for five and he made like two out of ten. It was just the. But if you ask him to just do left handed floaters. He made like 8 out of 10. It's just this introduction of new skills that he's not. He's so powerful and he's so athletic in such a football player kind of way, just like in straight line, yep. straight up and down. He's so athletic in that way. But when you ask him to be fluid, and that's why I named my piece like OG Ananobi fluidity, is because that's that's what unlocks his whole game, is be, like taking his just overwhelming power in just translating that into a fluid type of athlete, which he hasn't yet. That's that's what I see, and I totally agree with you, Lewis. Which is Siakam's strength, right? Anyway. Yeah, totally. That's that's how Siakam does everything. He's not extremely powerful, but he like he leverages every piece of his athleticism. Let's say when Siakam is doing like a post spin, you'll notice that based on how he feels the defender is playing him his elbow will be positioned differently. It's like Kawhi Leonard does the same thing. Is how a guy's playing you is is everything. It's like, are you going to rip off of his back, his shoulder? Where is his leverage point to defend you? Where is he resisting your like your pivot? And then where do you pull him away from to get him going one way and you the other? These are these are things Siakam does like subconsciously. He's just so good at feeling out defenders and just moving his body in space that he completely dominates around the rim. And OG Ananobi is kind of like the opposite. I love listening you to you nerd out about the, you know, the physical nuance of the game. It's super <laughs> fun. You played basketball at a much higher level than I ever did. And it's, it's really enjoyable and, and uh, educational for me to listen to it. Oh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Cause I, I hope it's not like too esoteric for somebody <laughs> listening. Uh, Athol J or Athul J, preferred first round opponent, Lewis. I mean, I got a little bit of pushback when I said Orlando's a horrible result on Twitter the other day. I just meant it because they're the worst of the results because they're the best team amongst those uh, six, seven, eight possibilities. I mean, for preferred, I think the Nets are probably the easiest for the Raptors to beat, but they should all be easy to beat. I don't know. I have to write a lot about it. Let's say Detroit. The narrative writes itself. It's the easiest pieces to write. 
I'll be doing a lot of writing, so I'll say Detroit's my preferred one. You? You prefer Detroit? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the pieces are already written, right? I just go on autopilot and watch The Office, and boom, my <laughs> series preview is done in an hour. DwayneCasey.exe.lby.brb. Yeah. yeah, whatever. It'll just be yeah. Pound the Rock written 700 times in a row. Literally, yeah. You just have to put that quote up of Dwayne Casey saying that Detroit, the, the vaunted franchise of Detroit, has winning pedigree. And, yeah, they you know, know Toronto doesn't. It's like, man, I can't believe he turned that fast. He's so cruel. It made me wonder what a DeMar DeRozan, Dwayne Casey dinner looks like. Like how much trash they talk about the Raptors. And the, yeah. I, I've never been a fan of another NBA team. Do other coaches do this? When other coaches get fired, do they turn on their franchises like that? I've never. Well, okay, here's the thing, though, right? Is like George Carl did. And George Carl got fired after he was coach of the year. Yeah. Wayne Casey got fired after he was coach of the year. So maybe it's just like if you win coach of the year, you get acknowledged by all of your peers and the people who watch the game. It's like, hey, you are the best one. And they fire you? That's yeah. incredible. But Sam also Mitchell. with the caveat. Oh, Sam Mitchell as well. Also with the caveat, though. Uh, the caveat is that he got the award. It was announced before, like it was voted on before the Raptors had their sweep. Exactly. So, and the playoffs, it turns out, are important to people. Who would have thought, you know? Weird. Sam Mitchell, I think, left on good terms. I'm probably misremembering. I, I have no idea. But I'm Well, maybe I, Sam, Sam Mitchell was probably trying to secure the bag. He ended up working for TSN, you know? So, like, that's he true. was like... He's like, it's cool, it's cool. Could you imagine Dwayne Casey coming on as like a TSN reporter? That'd oh, be incredible. That would be, he is, look, I love Dwayne Casey. I think he's Me a too. great coach for where, for a certain type of team, much like Detroit or Toronto five years ago. He is a heck of a guy. I love his, you know, his old South sayings that are probably just him making stuff up, but are still awesome. I love Dwayne Casey. If he was a, an announcer, that would be a blast. How much fun would that be to watch his games? I I really like like his podcast that he did with Zach Lowe was rare air. It yeah. felt like it it was it was just so he was so transparent about like his motivations, where he came from, and he was so eloquent in the way he spoke. And also, yeah. yes, like when you listen to Nick Nurse or you listen to Dwayne Casey, they both have like that good old boy like accent a little bit, and it's it's endearing, you know. Nick Nurse, he pretends to be so clueless with media sometimes. Like before games, we'll be, you know, asking him questions and someone will say something like, you know, uh, so before the Orlando game, you know, where you watch, are, are you watching the standings? You know, Orlando might be a team you're playing. He'll be like, yeah, you know, every once in a while I'll have some, some inkling. He just pretends. He has no idea what's going on, but it's endearing for sure. But uh, was, it's just how guys deal with media. Yeah, when I asked him about OG, he got so sad. Like, and that, I really liked his sad. answer. Yeah, he got sad because I asked about OG and like the differences between this year and last, and he was just like, because OG obviously has had a yeah. tough year, both yeah. like in the game and outside the game. So it's just him, like. Yeah. Yeah, lamenting, like, yeah, he's trying hard, you know, he's doing his thing. Like, and just, like, he was so transparent with it. I was like, oh, wow, that's great. But also, don't play Kyle Lowry 36 minutes and Jeremy Lin 12. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I feel like, yeah. Uh, my preferred first-round opponent, since I guess we went way off topic there. As mostly, my, mostly my fault, yeah, as we are wont to do. My preferred first-round opponent is definitely Brooklyn because, A, it gives me an excuse to watch D'Angelo Russell and Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie, yep. the best three players ever, probably. <laughs> and Jarrett Allen, it, it also kind of adds a bit of chaos because Serge Ibaka has defended Jarrett Allen almost perfectly anytime they've played this year. So even though it looks like Marcus Gasol has taken the starting job, that could introduce a bit of chaos to that position, which means more things to write. And also, <laughs> the Raptors should beat the Nets handily. And I'm perfectly fine about playing a non-physical team and watching DeAndre Russell 
win one game where he shoots like 16 of 24 from the mid-range and then the Raptors giving them a gentleman sweep. That's ideal for me. And then whatever version of Boston, Philly, Indiana, whoever comes to the to the second round, whatever. But the first round, I'd definitely take the Nets. That's my preferred one. The Nets also lead the league in karate headbands. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Jared Allen sometimes. Um, D'Lo, D'Lo well. Yeah, or the Pelicans. They, they wear a lot too. I just love that look. It looks so cool. Anyway, Drew was the pioneer. Drew, Drew was definitely the pioneer of that look. Oh, yeah, Drew Holiday. Yeah, he's so good, man. That that Zach Lowe piece about Drew Holiday um, that was published right around the time of the Anthony Davis thing, that was such a good piece. He's just such a likable guy, Drew Holiday. Well, he like he also he's I I've never seen a guy leave for like paternal reasons before, but he missed yeah. like a whole year. Yep. Just yep. just he's, to be a family man. Awesome. And also, I remember that was one of my first, like, recaps I ever wrote for Raptors Republic was I had this, I edited in, like, a picture of Damian Lillard and Kyle Lowry together, and it was, like, Drew Holiday's camp for kids just because he locked down Lowry and Lillard <laughs> so well. And I was just, I was so smitten with myself. I was like, oh, you've done such a good job, Sam. This is such a clever joke. Oh, your genius knows no bounds. Anyway, Gort... <laughs> I'm not sure if it's Gorge Harbajosa or Jorge Jarbajosa, however it is. If I want to say the Spanish, it would be Jorge Harbajosa. There you go. What's the most ridiculous circumstances you've gone through to find a way to watch a Raps playoff game? I left mid-Coachella temporarily in 14 for F. Brooklyn. 2015, I sprinted through a Colombian mountain village trying to find a Wi-Fi stream, the Grievous Shimmy. What is what is the craziest thing you've ever gone to, to to watch a Raptors playoff? Honestly, game? it's not that crazy. But uh, I lived in Korea for a year, where the time difference is fairly substantial, and uh, I you know it was a year abroad, and I, I definitely spent more time uh, you know partying than I should have. And I remember waking up after just a couple hours sleep in great pain to watch an 8 a.m. Raptors loss. And that was the Washington Wizards sweep year. We've come a long way. Yikes. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a painful morning all around. I get, just to gauge my own interest here, you got to tell me, culturally, how much different is a, Korean, a South Korean party than, you know, uh, uh, let's say, a Canadian party? What's, what are the stark differences? Well, I uh, I don't I don't know if I ever went to a house party, so I couldn't speak to that. But the bars were I went to mostly foreigner bars, um, not ton not a ton of a difference. I I find most places are at least relatively similar um, in the world. At least you know everyone's the, at least the human condition the remains the same. The human yeah, yeah the human condition. I don't know the the biggest difference. The thing that was coolest to me. Was Bagdrin in? Uh, so I lived in, which is sort of south central, and it's uh, a lot of bars had bag drinks. You sort of drink out of a plastic bag. All this, all this booze, you get cocktails in a bag, and there was a ton of fun. That would be my answer. Bag drinks. Wow, that's I've never heard of that. Besides, like everyone who talks about bagged milk in Ontario, which is a trip, by the way. Bagged milk is something else. Also, box wine, which is secretly bagged wine, if you just take the cardboard off. You know, that's very astute observation. <laughs> that's why we bring on the podcast. <laughs> I might just, I'll just headline uh, this podcast with like Raptors Weekly podcast. Boxed wine becomes bagged wine very quick, and then they'll have to listen. They'll have to listen for how that happens. Um, what's another one? Let's see. Final game yep. versus Minnesota. Sit everyone, question mark. Rest versus rust, question mark. What do you think? And this one is from, same guy, Jorge Harbajosa. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be a little rusty anyway because they might have upwards of uh, four or five days before the first game. And they want the home, the potential home game against the, the Warriors. I'll say play. I'll say keep minutes below 30, but play. How about you? Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I I don't like resting guys. Like, I really love resting guys on the one hand because when you view them as human 
and like an expiring meat bag that is taking a beating, you're like, oh my god, sit down, please, take care of yourself. Like there's this, <laughs> there's this feeling inside of you that just reaches out to them, and you say, please, I just want you to be okay. Watching yeah. Danny Green have a hurt ankle, you know, hurts my heart. Two hurt ankles. That type of thing. Watching Bam Adebayo shave a goatee into his face and imme- like immediately start gooning around the court yeah, like as if he's just a taller version of Drogic. Yeah, the, the Heat have copious amounts of villains. I'll just leave that there. But yeah, you feel bad for him. But also, I really like the idea of playing a few more games and getting more chemistry because they've only had Marcus Gasol since you know the trade deadline. And stylistically... That was a very transformative trade. So I think you just need to get as many reps as possible. And practice probably doesn't come close to playing against one of the best players of all time, Andrew Wiggins, you know? like Canadian goat. Canadian Jordan. Yeah, Maple Jordan. That yeah, was that's the one. Oh, boy. Andrew Wiggins. I just hope he ends up good. And I guess one last question from IdiotBabyRoz underscore leg. How should the NBA address the last 10 games of the season considering the trend of resting players? That's a good question. That's like a wider NBA question for sure. What do you think, man? That is a good question. I'm so torn because it's one of those things of perspective. You can see it from the team's perspective. Like Toronto, resting Kawhi has been a huge part of their in-season success, their their medical program, and their pitch for him to re-sign. On the other hand, you know, if you're paying money to go to the game, it really sucks. And people harp on this, but they harp on it because it's true. It sucks to pay money to go to a game and have, you know, G League guys, as much as I love it, it sucks to have G League guys playing 35 minutes a game for fans who don't know who they are. And so I'm very torn. Maybe something in the middle, maybe mandate. The NBA could say, you know, you're only allowed to rest two starters for load management per game. I don't know. That's a ridiculous answer. I'm, I'm off the rails. What do you think? I, I think the fix, honestly, is, I guess, supplementing the revenue some other way and then shortening the season. I think that's the way to do it because it is felt for like 12 games that the Raptors are just going to be second and we're just waiting for everything to just fall into place before like we get to the playoffs. And it's felt that way as yeah. a Raptors fan for like the better part of like 3 4 years. We're like, okay, can we like get to the playoffs now? Let's go. Can we can we start this thing already? And that's how most of the better teams feel. But also to your point, yeah, most of the people who attend NBA games aren't season ticket holders. They don't have an opportunity to see the guys more than once in the year most people they go like once twice a season or maybe even like once every three years like there are people who are diehard nba fans who maybe don't live in an nba city and maybe they travel something like that and then they want to go to a game let's say lowry leonard gasol they all sit and maybe like one of those three is your favorite player there's just something about the 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 experience that gets taken away from you and it's not just about you, the viewer, but if you expand that problem, it does seem like because these are the people who support the league, the league exists because of the fandom. And like, how do you serve these people if you're not playing while they pay? It's just, it's exactly. tough. And then also respecting their agency as humans to take care of their bodies. I don't know. There's no good answer. Yeah, But it's a good question. It's a good yeah. question, though. Uh, I agree with you. A question that we have... We have as few answers as any other. For all the talking we've done, this is the one that got us. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, I don't know who would have a take on this. A really analytical person. There's a couple of people on the Raptors Republic staff who have a take for everything, but Lewis and I don't fall under that. Oh, yeah, so sure. You, we, we're the least opinionated. I, on Twitter, I think we are. We're not oh, very takey. Yeah, well, not very takey. Hatred. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Anyway, I feel like that's a, a good place to end it. Lewis, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Feel free to shout out anything you want to. Uh, tell the people where to find you. Anything. Yeah, I'm, uh, well, uh, you should follow me on Twitter. I love it there. 
there. It's probably the most, uh, you know, individualized platform that I have of myself. It's just my name, at Lewis Zatzman. And uh, as I mentioned, I'll be covering all the home games for RR. I'll be at them. Um, it'll be fun. It'll be a ride. I've only done maybe six games this regular season, and I'm hoping, you know, fingers crossed, if it's a long run, I'll be able to surpass that during the playoffs. I'm excited for you, man. That's really cool. And it, to the people who are listening, Lewis has been writing incredible stuff all year. And I mean that sincerely. He's been one of my favorite people to read this year. And the fact that he's going to get to go to the games, talk to people more often, I'm really excited for the stuff you're going to write, man. It's really cool Thanks. that you get to do this. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Yeah. And for anyone else, if you want to just fall besides Lewis, which you should follow for sure, but if you want to just follow Raptors Republic at Jace Things, just Raptors Republic on Twitter or Instagram or RaptorsRepublic.com. That's the site where tons of great content is coming out every day. Lots of great writers, all towards one goal of covering the Raptors. Thank you so much for listening today, tonight, whenever you found time. Have a blessed day, and see ya. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. When you're a pro, your reputation is built and proven over time. That's why the Home Depot carries Loctite PL Premium Max construction adhesive, the strongest on the market. It stays 100% solid after curing, it won't develop air pockets. And like your reputation, it holds up over time. Right now, get 12 or more for the bulk price of only $8.53 each. Loctite PL Premium Max at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Minimum purchase required, U.S. only.